0: All right, you know, historically, I knock off my microphone when I first start a message. But what a recovery. Um, historically, in church, uh, with cross church attendance, the Sunday after Christmas is actually one of the lowest Sundays of the year, which must mean if you're here this morning, you're ready for church. Can we, can we, can we do something real this morning? You all ready? Did someone say no or yeah? Oh, that was a yeah, okay, we're good. I'm going to get straight into the Word. If you want to start, we're going to open up in Matthew chapter 13, verses 55 through 58. Matthew 13, verses 55 through 58. If you're not there, pretend, and it's on the screen. It says, Then they scoffed, he's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his his mother, and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas— all his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? Speaking of Jesus, in 50, verse 57, and they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his own family. And so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. Now flip forward a couple chapters to Matthew 16. And we're going to pick up in verse 13. And here's Jesus talking to his disciples. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say that I am? He was asking them to make a declaration out of their belief. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon. Son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you, you did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And verse 19, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Last verse in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Philippians 2, verse 9. Therefore God elevated him, him being Jesus, to the place of highest honor, and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I want to speak to you this morning from the topic, In the Name. In the name, let's pray. God, I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you that you are so much greater than all that we could fathom, all that we could hope, and all that we could think, God. And I pray that in these these next few moments, Lord, that our hearts would be open, our minds would be receptive to having an encounter with you in this house. We love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There is importance in a name, in a name. I know this because y'all know me as Albert, my real name's Nadid, and this is America which means when school started and the teacher's calling roll, she gets my name and say, "Netted," Is Nedded here? And that's me. I go by Albert. Just keep going. Work down the, work down the list. Um, if you, any parents in here who you've had to come up with a name, you know, nowadays we just try to come up with something that sounds good, what works with my last name. You know, Cassie's due February 1st. We don't know what we're having. So now we have to come up with two names. It makes it even more difficult. I mean, even if you've had a pet, you don't want your pet to be Mr. Scruffles. You know, you want something that, that's important, something that, that me- I'm, I'm sorry if your pet's name is Mr. Scruffles, but you didn't try hard enough. There, there's something more out there. There's importance, importance in a name, importance in a name. So in Scripture, when we look through the Old Testament, names had a bigger meaning. Names had more important of a meaning. Uh, in some places, people got their name because of the instance of their birth. For instance, Moses means to draw out. Moses, when Pharaoh's daughter found him, she drew him out of the river. Jacob uh, names means heel grabber, supplanter. He, he came out holding onto the heel of his twin, Esau. And so they named them according to an aspect of their birth, or sometimes they named them according to their parents at the time of their birth. If you look at Isaac, Isaac means laughter. Abraham, Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. He laughed about it. It was, you either laugh or you cry at that point, Something, something's about to happen. So he named Isaac laughter. Um, Gideon. Gideon was the son of, uh, he named his son Abimelech, which means my father is king. You know, it's a little conceited, but hey, it means something. You know, we even look at God throughout the, throughout the Bible, he takes a habit of changing people's names. He, he, he takes Jacob, who was heel grabber, and he changes him to Israel, triumphant with God. He takes Abram, father of, father of many, to Abraham, father of many nations. We even see in the New Testament what Jesus just said with Peter. You are now Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And we look at Saul to Paul. So at some point, God's trying to show us something. There a significance in a name. A name means something. But look back at Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Look what he says about this name. It says, therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. Now, my whole goal this morning is that that wouldn't just be a phrase to us. But he says, I gave him the name above all other names. And look back, go ahead to verse 10. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, I have, I have a concern and I have a legitimate fear about the American church that if we aren't careful, we've become too familiar with the name Jesus to the point that when he enters this room, we react more like his hometown than like Simon Peter who said, you are the son of the living God. And, you know, familiarity, it's a good thing. I know the name of Jesus. I trust the name of Jesus. I love the name of Jesus. But you know, my son Eli, you'll probably see him after this message and he's gonna come in here and he's the little white boy just sprinting back and forth. The tan's coming at some point, I promise, but he's just running around here. And when I was, that's not okay. You don't run in the house, you don't do that in the house of God, but he's not old enough to understand reverence yet. And we're gonna get there and then his butt's gonna be red next time it happens. But we haven't gotten to that point yet, right? But why does he do that? He's familiar with this place. He spends every day here. So he's so familiar with it that the reverence has lost its meaning to him, or he's never gained a perspective of that meaning. Have we as an American church, we come in here week after week after week, and we come into the presence of God, but are we so familiar that he can do no great thing? Are we so familiar with the name Jesus that mountains aren't shaking when we say it? Have we become so familiar with this man? He, he desires relationship with you, don't get me wrong. He wants to know name-to-name uh, basis, have a nickname, you know, y'all get together and have coffee. He wants that relationship, but never lose your sight of who he is and what that name means. My favorite story of, of Peter and John, in Acts chapter 3, they're headed into the temple, And uh, at the beautiful gate, it's a familiar passage, there's a lame man, he's begging at the gate. The Bible says he had been there, um, he'd been lame for 40 years from the time he was born. He couldn't walk. So Peter and John walking up to him, the the man lifts up his hand, the Bible says, expecting to receive something. And Peter looks at him and goes, silver and gold have I not, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. He takes him by the hand, he pulls him up onto his feet, and the Bible says instantly his ankles and his bones were healed. Then he started leaping, running, praising God. They ran into the city. They run into the temple. He's telling everybody about it. Then all of a sudden, these crowds start gathering around Peter, and like a preacher does, he starts preaching. It's what you do. I'll get a message out of Finding Nemo. It just happens. You're sitting there, and all of a sudden, the Word of God starts. So Peter preaches, and the Bible says he added even more thousands at this occasion than even on the occasion at the Pentecost, where he added 2,000. It says three more thousand were added on this instance. And at that time, there were 5,000 men who were all added to the believers in Christ, not counting the women and children. So now the council and and the Pharisees and and the heads of the temple, they start getting upset and they start fussing. And so they take Peter and John and, and they throw them in prison and they try them for what they're doing. Now look at Acts chapter 4, verse 10. They're standing in front of the council. Here's Peter. He says, Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. You can skip over to verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were, no, they were just ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. So Peter, he proclaims, you're the son of the living God. And Christ gives him a new name. You're now the rock upon which I'm going to build my church. And so it looks like, well, of course, Peter at this point is going to be bold and courageous. Well, really? Because if we take a second, we look at the events of Peter's life between that point when he was called the rock to the point now where he's proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ and lifting people onto their feet. Peter's life kind of looked a little weird. You know, a few weeks ago, Peter was denying that he even knew who Jesus was. The night before that, most theologians believe that Peter was the one who chopped off the Roman guard's ear. Well, that's not good, you know. Right before that, Peter was talking to Jesus. He's like, no, no, don't go to the cross. Don't go die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Now that's never happened to me, but I'm assuming it's not a good day when Jesus calls you Satan. So Peter's life to this degree hadn't been going great, so what happened in Peter? What happened in Peter that he had this new boldness and this new courage? It's a, it's a, it's a simple principle. Have you ever gone in for a job interview and you knew one of the bosses or you knew a CEO and so you could put their name on your resume? And so you walk into that interview a little more, a little more standing tall. I'm walking in, I know somebody. I can, I, can, I can get into this place. Or even children understand this principle. I'm the youngest of four, so I understand it as well as anybody, and if you don't remember this, now you're a parent and so you're experiencing it. If you have more than one kid, they start fussing, they're complaining, you hear the fight, but you just turn up the TV, you're hoping it doesn't make its way from the back room to your room. We know you do it, don't lie. I didn't hear a thing. He was, he was on the stove, but no one knew. And so you're just ignoring it, and then all of a sudden, the littlest one, that was me, comes running in the room crying. They said I couldn't do this, and they wouldn't let me have a turn. And here's what mama says. You go tell them that I said to let you have a turn. You know what you do all the time? You march right back in there. Mom said that you have to let me have a turn. Why? Why? Because it's no longer me fussing and complaining anymore. Now I have the name of mama behind me. And so all of a sudden, I'm walking in tall. I'm walking in proud. I'm walking in like I'm about to take over this playroom, right? And as wonderful and beautiful and powerful as the name mama, when you walk in and say, Jesus said, when you walk back into that situation, when you can go back into that place where the devil is lying, he's telling you no, you can't have that, you can't do that, and you say, hold on a second, Jesus said. See, there's power in that name. There's power in the name of Jesus. John chapter 14. Come on, let's keep moving. John chapter 14, verse 12 says, I tell you the truth, this is Jesus. He's preparing his disciples for the day he leaves. They don't understand what's going on, but he's like, look, there's gonna be a day I'm not gonna be here. Here's what's gonna happen. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. How can this be true, Jesus? We saw you feed 15,000 people. We saw you calm the storm. We saw you do all these great miracles. How could things get better? Here's how. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do that so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. In verse 14, yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Right after this, he promises the Holy Spirit. Right after this, he sits back with me. He goes, look, I'm leaving. I get it. You're confused. But I'm going to send you the Helper. And things are going to get better here. How can we do greater things? How can we do bigger things than you did? Because Jesus was the sole presence of the Holy Spirit in that day at that time. But he says, but I'm going to leave, and I'm going to send him. And now not only is it going to be in me walking around, he's going to be in you, and you, and you, and you. And the omnipresence of God is, is beckoning upon our lives. And you're going to be able to do greater things in my name. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus takes his disciples. And the Bible says he gave them authority to heal the sick and cast out demons. This was a, it was a power of attorney. It was, I'm signing this paper, and you can act in my place. But it was limited. It was a limited power of attorney. But here in John 14, he supersedes that. And he says, before you could, you could do these things because I told you, but now you can do anything in my name. And he signed it then, and it was put into place when the Holy Spirit came up upon us so that when we invoke the name of Jesus, we can do great things, greater things than Christ himself did. It's a scary statement. It's a scary statement. And I would have to believe that's why much of the church backs away from it. Because what if I pull that man to his feet and he falls back down? What if I do that? Is your belief in you or is your belief in the name of Jesus? If we look in John 14, it says in the name. Now, the Greek word for that name mean, means onoma. It, it, it's more than a name. It's everything... Um, attached to that name. It's the authority of that name. It's the essence of that name. It's the title. It's the weight. It's the power of that name. When you use the name of Jesus, you're invoking the very nature of God that he placed inside of you. I'm not just saying a name. I'm invoking the nature of Christ through the Holy Spirit within me over my situation, over over this, this circumstance, over my territory, over my family, over my household. I want the nature of Christ to be upon this situation. You know, but you have to believe, he said, on the name of Jesus. You have the authority to act on his behalf. Now contrary to popular belief, well, popular belief, belief is stronger than what you see. Most people say, "I'll, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. But if there's any Dallas Cowboy fans in here who still believe they have a shot at the playoffs, Your belief is stronger than what I've been seeing since week three, right? Try reasoning, (laughs) you can't. Why, because it's belief. But there's a belief in Jerry Jones and there's belief in Jesus Christ. It's two different things. Now in Texas, they might look the same. But in the kingdom of God, my belief in the name of Jesus is greater. Why, why are there some Christians who can use the name of Jesus to cast out demons and others can't use it to bless the plate of nachos that they're about to, that they're about to indulge in? What is my belief in that name? Am, am I invoking the nature of Christ? You know, the devil is not on your level. Quit negotiating with Satan. If you need to give him a message, write a note, stick it to the bottom of your shoe, Because he is placed firmly under your feet. And that's how he can get what you want to say. Otherwise, you don't negotiate. You don't speak with him. You claim the name of Jesus over your situation. I don't say, Satan, if you would, quit, just leave my family alone. And if you could get out of my house and give me some extra channels on direct TV, like that would be great. No. In the name of Jesus, he has given me this territory. This is my family. This is my territory. This is my blessing. That's my son. That's my wife. You don't have authority in this place. But the enemy wants you silent. The enemy wants you silent. Uh, Peter and John now have been been standing before the council, and so the council goes back and they're talking. They're like, look, we gotta do something about this. Well, we have to figure this out. Look at uh, Acts Acts 4, I'm sorry, verse 16. It says, what should we do with these men, they asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign, and everybody at this point in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone In Jesus' name again. Now look what they were doing. They're like, look, we can't deny what happened. We can't deny what just took place. So we have to come up with something different because everyone's going to know about this Jesus. Everyone's going to know that it was him. They're not the first ones to discover this truth about Jesus, that when you hear that name, when you know that name, when you know what happens, people's mindsets turn. That there's power in that, that he's undeniable. Like as we read in Philippians, every knee will bow. So what do we do? Well, look, we're going to tell them, look, you can go. You're free. Do whatever it is that you want. Just don't use the name of Jesus. Don't use the name of Jesus. Is that not like the world today? See, they figured it out then. They figured it out then. They want they want to keep you silent about everything that Jesus is, everything he does. They 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 discovered this truth. Do whatever you want, just don't use the name of Jesus. This isn't a new problem, church. This isn't a, a something new with our government and with our culture and with our policies and with this nation. The world understands the power in the name of Jesus sometimes more than we do. We, we can't let them use this name. We isn't that just like them wanting us to be quiet about what's right so they can be loud about what's wrong? Church, a quiet church is a dead church. Come on, a quiet church is a dead church. If the world's going to be loud about greed, I'm going to be loud about generosity. If they want to be loud about perversion, I'm going to be louder about purity. If they want to be loud about selfishness and and self-indulgence, I'm going to be loud about serving and loving and caring. We have to be louder than the world. They want us to be silent. They want to steal your voice. This isn't a time to be shy. It's not a time to be shut down. It's a time to raise up. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say so, not let the redeemed of the Lord have their separate Bible study and have their separate bowling league and have their separate book club. No, 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 say it, declare it. Say that he's good, say all that he's done. Say he's a good, good father and it's just who he is. Say, Say what he's done in your life. Speak those testimonies. Speak what's going on in your life team. Speak what's going on in your own life. Speak what's going on in your household and then speak what you want to happen. And invoke the nature of Christ over your situation. Why does the, the, the devil want you to be silent? Why? What do we do with this name? What do we do if this has been my life? Worship magnifies the name of Jesus. Worship will magnify the name of Jesus. The original purpose of creation was to maximize God in the earth. And the way to maximize God is to magnify him in our praise. We make him bigger than than our issues. We make him bigger than our circumstance. We make him bigger than sickness. We make him bigger than the lost. We make him bigger than hopelessness. We make him bigger than those things. And we do that in our praise. Worship is critical to the development of your spirit. Why do we think the enemy works so hard to get through us to the airwaves? Why why he speaks these things of of the music that we listen to and the the TV shows that we watch and the images he places in front of us and the lies that he puts all around us. Why? Because we're sensual beings. We work based off our five senses, what we hear, what we we see, we understand, and we, we put inside of us. And so he attacks that. He attacks it all around us. But but your worship is not just what you listen to, it's the life that you live. It's more than a moment, it's a lifestyle. I magnify Him. It's more than than a, than a sound. It's a substance. My life is worship because He's worthy to be worshipped. And if my life is fulfilling its original purpose, it's maximizing Him. It's lifting Him up. You've heard me say this before. God can do anything except worship. A, a God who's Almighty, All Powerful, has everything we could ever. But the Bible says above all that we could ever ask or think for, He is incapable of worship. To so worship, there has to be something higher than yourself. There is nothing higher than our God. So when we worship God, we're giving Him something He can't even give Himself. Our worship matters. Our worship means something. Our worship moves something. There is power in your worship. There is power in your worship. The Bible says, You said the time is coming and it's now here when true worshipers will worship from spirit. in truth. Spirit. My spirit has been made alive in Christ. My spirit is passionate. My spirit is renewed. My spirit cannot be silenced. My spirit cannot be suppressed. This is in truth. Truth is your revelation of who God really is. Truth. Truth does not change. Jesus says, I am truth. In spirit and in truth. I have to know who he is. I have to have an understanding with Christ. This was in my notes. I feel like God wants to share this, that, that sometimes, especially in a charismatic church, we dismiss an encounter with God even though it's coming from here. An encounter with God's word is an encounter with God himself. An encounter with the Word of God is just as powerful as anything else. See, we get so used to the feels, and I, I swear in the middle of our God, I don't know what happened. That's, it's a song we have sing forever, just the Spirit of God hit me, and I was like, like, I'm not about to cry before I go up and preach, God. So you get this under control. And, and it was just there. But, but we like that because I feel it, and it's moving, and, and it's good. But when I just sit, and when I just read, and when I delve into the Word of God, when I was 16 years old, I was preaching at, a, at a, this little college Bible study, and I remember they're playing worship, and I'm a pacer during worship. But, like, I like to go just back and forth. I'm just walking and having my time with God. And, and I just, I'm gonna be honest with God. So he and I are talking, I said, look, God, like I love you, and I love this worship. And I don't know if I was trying to impress God with how much I love to worship, but I was telling God, I love this moment. I love being in your presence. I love worshiping you. And then the honesty, the truth came out, and I said, but spending time reading your Bible like, I'd rather worship for five hours than read for 15 minutes, God. If we were all honest, that's a good portion of us. I, I would, I, God, I would worship you for, for forever, but this reading thing, it's just not happening for me right now. And it was the first time God ever audibly just spoke to me. And, and I remember, like, time stopped, and, and just I saw on fire, just written in my eyes, he said, worship me, you don't even know me. That's not the first thing you want to hear from God. When he's he talking, worship me, you don't even know who I am. And he took me to the scripture in Acts chapter 17. And I remember, wrote it right in front of my face. And, and it's Paul, and he's going and he's preaching. And he's at Mars Hill in Areopagus. And, and he had been on his retreat. He's been going around preaching the gospel. And finally, he showed up at a place where everyone was worshiping. And he was like, thank goodness, this will be easier. And he goes up, and they're worshiping, and they're going at it. And he, he gets up to the altar, and on it was inscribed, to an unknown God. How many churches are we walking in here, and the music's great, and we we can sense the Spirit, but we're worshiping an unknown God? You don't know God because I know God, and I tell you about God. You don't know my wife just if I talk to you about her. You have to go know her. Take your time. She's pregnant right now. You might not want to talk to her for about a month. (laughs) But God, but Jesus, but that name. Go spend some time in the word. Go spend some time knowing who he is. You want an encounter with Jesus? The Bible said the word became flesh. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Spirit and in truth. Your worship is lacking truth if it's lacking a foundation in the word. It's just true. People you don't usually wake up on their own. I have seven alarms for work. Uh, Pastor Chris Segan from the Beaumont campus, he comes and he works out with me in the mornings, and, uh, but he gets in my house at like 7 I'm like, that's not okay. I know some of you have like jobs where you gotta be up at 4.30 and do all that kind of thing. Well I don't, I have to be here at nine and I live on this street. <laughs> so before all of that started, I woke up at 8.58 <laughs> and I headed out the door and I got to work. Now he shows up at seven, so I have to have like an alarm go off at 6.55 to kind of get me at least just hitting stuff. And then alarm goes off a little later, and alarm, and then finally, like he's like, I'm here right now. Come outside. I'm like, okay. And I get up and go. I need alarms. Worship is the alarm clock of heaven. If you want to wake heaven up to go to work on your behalf, then elevate your worship. Elevate your worship. Thy kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven responds to sound. If you read through Revelation, what signifies the next level of everything to come to place? Trumpets. Heaven works. The armies of God work on sound. If you want to go to the next level, if you want to let God know, hey, I'm ready, elevate your worship. Go to a new place and worship. Some of us, we have these, 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 I don't know how to say it, where we're just... I'm not a musician. I'm not a singer. I don't know. It's not really really for me. God put it inside of you. You were created to do that. The the, the three original um, classes of instrumentation were percussion, wind, and string. Percussion. I did it. (laughs) Now, some of us have trouble doing it on beat than other people, but hey, I'm learning. I'm percussion instrument. You know what this is called? This is my windpipe. This is wind. When I lift up the name of Christ, sound travels through my wind instrument. Inside are my vocal cords. I am a percussionist. I I play the wind instrument. I have a string instrument inside of me. It's who you are. You are a full-time worship leader in your house, on your job, in aisle 7 at HEB. You are a worship leader. Maybe there are people around you who are like, for the love of all that is holy, stop singing and you say, get behind me, Satan. I'm a worship leader in this house. And you break out the shofar and you just let it go. You are a worship leader. You are a worshiper. And for some of us, it's special. Let's face it, men, it's just unnatural. It's not natural. I mean, it's natural on Sunday morning when your favorite football team is playing, but it's not natural in the presence of God. It's not (laughs) natural. It's not natural for me to do that. It's not comfortable for me to do that. When? In this life we've walked, when, at what point in the, in the history of the church did we get to a point of worship when you're comfortable? Yeah. That doesn't come from here. I've been guilty of this as, as, a, as a worship leader. If you're comfortable, raise your hands. If you're comfortable, lift your voice. If you're comfortable, sing out to God. Why? Because we want to make sure we're not being pushy. We want to make sure we're not forcing anything on people. We want to make sure you're not just worshiping because we, we tell you to. We want to do that. But let's face it, Daniel wasn't sitting in the lions. and, hey, if you're comfortable with those lions. When you feel good, lift up a shout of praise. Hallelujah. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are sitting in the in fiery furnace seven times hotter than it usually was. Hey, guys, I know it's hot. It's like Christmas in Southeast Texas. It's hot, right? But when you get comfortable, take your jacket off and go ahead and worship. Paul, Silas, you got stripped, beaten, and thrown in jail for casting a demon out of a young girl. When you get comfortable in that prison, go ahead and worship. I didn't wait till they got comfortable. If the band wants to go ahead and get ready, we're gonna get places. Um, wasn't comfortable in that prison. Wasn't comfortable there. And let me tell you something. The Bible says that the jail broke open at midnight. They didn't start at eleven fifty nine. They had been worshiping for hours. They had been giving God glory. The Bible says that this young woman was harassing them on their way into prayer. That was first thing in the morning. Then they were beaten. Then they were thrown in prison. Who knows how many hours they had been in this jail cell? For some of us, we get with worship and we say, well, I've been worshiping, but nothing's happening. I've been worshiping, but nothing's happening. They didn't start at midnight. Some of you have conceded battles that you already have the key to. The beggar at the gate was lame for 40 years. For some of us, we believe this lie of that's just the way it's gonna be. So, so it's like Jesus didn't, didn't um, calm the, the disciples' spirits about the storm. He calmed the storm. Where did we get to this place as Christians where we just want God to give me a peace about the storm? I'm not settling for that. In the name of Jesus, wind stands still. Waves, calm. Waves, silence. We've made too many compromises for fear. But it's not on us. The same way I can stand up here and preach to you, it's not about me. It's about the, the name of Jesus. It's bigger than me. It's more important. It, it goes further. It moves mountains. It, 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 demons tremble at the name of Jesus. I, I've seen it myself. There's power in that name. Why are, we, why are we giving concessions to the enemy? Lazarus had been dead for four days. Actually, he had been in the tomb for four days, uh, given prep time and time. They might have been hoping Jesus would show up. He could have been dead for longer than that. He shows up. Martha comes, comes running to him. Jesus, if you had been here... My brother would still be alive. Martha, she's, he's, he's going to rise again. Yeah, I know Jesus. He's going to rise again on the last day. He, he had a supper right there. He, Martha, resurrection is not an event. Resurrection is a man. My name is Jesus Christ. I'm standing here right now. He says, everyone who believes in me, though he dies, yet he will surely live. And those who live and believe in me, they will never die. Do you believe this? Strongest question in all of Scripture. Do you believe this? She said, yes, I do, I believe you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God, truth. Martha brought truth, Martha brought truth, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. But Mary wasn't there, Jesus said, where's Mary? So they called for her, she again, she comes running to Jesus, the Bible says she falls at his feet, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would still be alive, and immediately he says, where have you laid him? Did you miss it, the miracle just happened. It had already taken place in the spirit. She said the same thing Martha said, but the miracle happened. Something drove Jesus from empathy to action. What was it? It was a posture of worship. She ran to him and fell at his feet. She lifted him up by lowering herself. And that's what drove Jesus immediately. Where have you laid that? When we fall to a posture of worship, he says, where have you laid your son? Where have you laid your marriage? Where have you laid your finances? Where have you laid your hope? Where have you laid your peace? Where have you laid your joy? Because I'll go get it. When you come to a posture of worship, Martha was truth, Mary was spirit, and the, and the presence and the power of God took place that day. A spirit problem is obvious. Someone hasn't been saved, someone hasn't received the spirit from God, someone hasn't received salvation, someone's unwilling to give out. That problem's obvious, but truth. Sometimes you'll say, my, my, I, my spirit's good, I, I'm there, I, I, I go after God, but maybe your truth hasn't caught up to your spirit yet. Because maybe my spirit's right on Monday or on Sunday, but by Tuesday, my truth isn't really right because truth will cost you. The truth of who God is will cost you jobs. It'll cost you you relationships. It'll cost you the first 10%. It'll cost you. Truth of the revelation of who God is will cost you something. And until your worship costs you something, it can't break anything. But when the devil attacks you due to your worship, he's just adding power to your worship. The Bible says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truth alone can break chains off you, but when you put that truth with the spirit that is evoking the very nature of Christ, then not only will you break out of the prison that the enemy has been placing you in, but be warned, devil, I'm coming straight to your office and I'm taking back everything that you stole from me. That's my son, that's my daughter, that's my anointing, that's my blessing, that's my favor. You have to go get it back. Not in your name not in the name of a church, in Jesus' name, in the power of that name, in the name of Jesus. Why don't you stand to your feet with me this morning? I wanted to leave time at the end to do something a little different. I asked Neil and Sarah to come back up, and and they're gonna lead us in a little song of worship. The lights will come back down a little bit, and what I'm inviting you to do is to magnify the name of Jesus. I invite you to come into the altar to, to get uncomfortable, to get uncomfortably comfortable in the presence of God as they worship. And, and then what I want to do is I want you to pick back up those battles you thought were over, those situations you thought you were lost, and I want us to start declaring together the name of Jesus. So they're going to lead us. Come, move, walk, pray, whatever it is that you do but do it in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you for what's about to break in this house this morning, Lord. I pray that faith would begin to rise again. God, that the nature of you that is inside of us, would be, you'd begin to draw out of us, Lord. You'd begin to pull it out of us. God, the water that's in us at the well, the living water, God, it would begin to come out, that your very nature would be present in this place, God. God, give your people hope. Give them joy. Give them peace. Give them rest. But give them the courage to stand boldly as Peter and John and say, it wasn't me, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. there is power in the name of Jesus. Yeah.